Good morning. Good morning. It's like 12 minutes past 8 on the evening. Not, it's, it's 7 a.m. Monday morning. No, it's not. Well, <laughs> oh, bugger off. I'm having to, I'm, I need to sort of like pretend it's another day because the absolute rubbish that you two have just come out with on the live feed. <laughs> I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. No. Hang on. Right. Let's hang on. Okay. Yeah. I. I am. I was perfectly fine. And you I was fantastic. Pair of full of absolute shit. You was drunk as a skunk. Who said I was? I still am. <laughs> I still <laughs> am. <laughs> you was drunk. You was interrupting. You couldn't do the news properly because you just both of you was acting like a pair of little kids. Well, we. I've got this. I've got. I've got the attention span of a gnat. You can see yourself on video. I know it's just hilarious. <laughs> you, I'm doing see, four faces at myself. Yeah, I can see. I can, I'm talking, and I can see you like lifting your eyebrows up and then pulling a different face. I'm like, I don't oh, mean God. to. I don't mean to. It's just like I, I don't know. It just happens. <sighs> uh, anyway, how are? You boys, how I, are you? I'm good. I am. I'm. I'm feeling better. I'm really good. Yeah, man. Can we? Can it? Can we have like a proper introduction, Hoss? Go can on, you man. go? Hi, welcome to Reptile and Chill. I'm. I'm joined once again by the lovely Phelps. No. And then the lovely Danny Wells, and we and we like just say nice hi. That is. We he did that once, didn't he? Do you remember? Mate? I know it's it quite nice. You know what? I felt really special. I know. I did. But it's not all about making people feel special. You know, you've got to make it people is. feel special all the time. No. Life is about making people feel special. 100%. No. Isn't now we sort of like used to us, Danny. It's like, oh, uh, it doesn't even ask us if we're all right or anything. Or well, I, know, just, I, know, I know you're okay, because I spoke to you about 30 seconds before I pressed fucking record. <laughs> I'm not having it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but the listeners don't know that. They don't the care. The listeners know that's bullshit. <laughs> look, they look, listen, they look, know, probably no, don't care. The, li- the listeners, no, no, the listeners oh, only oh. care about us bantering. So the listeners know that's complete bullshit, Hoss, because they know thirty seconds you press before you press record, you're having a shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I've noticed as well, thanks to you, pair. My language is now atrocious. Yes. I didn't used to swear at all, and now Sam's oh, going, yeah. all right, all right, potty mouse, out of mouth. And I'm like, oh, that's Hoss and, Hoss and Daddy, that is. I don't I don't know if a Hoss should take any blame for that person. No, in fact, in fact, no, he shouldn't. It's you. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's not just that. The kids' language is really bad now, and that's because of you as well. No. No, <laughs> bad no. kids. No. Bad Maya, bad no, Billy. You're joking. Bad kids. Their feet wouldn't touch the floor. They know. Uh, <laughs> they can hear it if ever I heard them using it. <laughs> oh, I've just made myself really old again. <laughs> I'll put you for a fucking wall. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go, oh, fuck. Fuck! Oh. <laughs> swearing. Sorry. Right, okay. so this week we've got someone to talk about um, toads. Toads. We're talking about toads. Um, Danny, have you told the guest for this week that he's coming on t- like now? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's ready. He's ready when you are. Cool, man. While she was dicking about, mate, we'd already sorted that. Should we? We've done a- 
Should we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Should we? When, when he comes on, should we just like? Should we? Should we? Pretend to sort of say, you know, should we say that we're like we don't know anything no, about no, toads? No, but the truth is, none of us. Stevie Cluxon, let's call him a different name, right, to start with. Let's <laughs> 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 yeah. just go, and, oh, we've got this. And, it's, uh, and, and when he comes on, go, hey, this every, is Dave. Every time, he says, every time he says anything about a toad, let's call it a frog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this could be really fun. Should we introduce, should we introduce them as Dave Clemens? Because they worked together. <laughs> Steve, Stephen Clemens. Should we go? Yeah, Steve yeah. Clemens. Stephen Clemens. <laughs> or, yeah, Steve Steph, Clemens. Stephen, Stephen Clemens. Stephen Clemens. Right, we'll go for that then. Let's see. Let's see. And right, and then what we'll have to do, we'll have to sleep as many sort of like, so, you know, you talk about the frogs, and then is there any, you see if he, see if he's, he's, he's corrects us, or he's just too polite, and he just goes along with it. Oh. Uh, do it, do it. Okay, call him in, call him in. Okay, so on tonight's show, we are joined by Stefan Clemens, and Stefan's going to talk to us all about marsh frogs tonight. And uh, so, do you want to tell us a little bit of how you got into that, uh, Stefan? Yeah, well, it's just something that I got into the weekend, and I thought, fuck it, let's keep going. Uh, and here I am. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, it's <laughs> reptiles and amphibians, they'll make you rich. Yeah, boy. Exactly, you know, it's just all that dollar, hey? Firstly, well done for not knowing your name and what you're talking about. Uh, Michael Phelps, that was beautiful. Did you like that? <laughs> that was that was fantastic. So, <laughs> Stefan Clemens, who's into marsh frogs, would you like to tell us <laughs> what your real name is and what you're here today to talk about? Of course, of course. So, uh, my name is Stephen Elaine, and I'm here to talk about midwife toads and uh, just, you know, community and citizen uh, participation in a national project that we're running, as well as, you know, the monitoring of other species as well. Well, okay, so before we get into that, let's get a bit of background knowledge on you. So, where did it all start? Did you, was you a private keeper before, or was it kind of just like a uh, a natural history interest? Uh, so it started out as a natural history interest and so uh, I studied zoology at university and you know uh, you know I had a passion for reptiles and amphibians before then but that's when everything started to fall into place and uh, yeah I've just kept it up since well okay cool and are you keeping privately at the moment uh, yes so, so <laughs> uh, at the moment I'm only keeping alpine newts uh, just because uh, I travel around a bit so it's hard to, you know, find people to look after your animals. And also, uh, because of the nature of my research at the moment, uh, it'd be a bit risky keeping reptiles uh, just because I'm working with infectious diseases in snakes. So, uh, yeah, best to, to, you know, try not to... Stay away. Yeah, exactly. You know, to try to not mm. cause any contamination with any native, uh, any captive animals from, from the native ones. Okay, so that being mm-hmm. said, uh, do you have any biosecurity procedures or methods that you use? So I do, yes. So the the newts themselves uh, have have been, uh, you know, uh, taken out of the wild here in the UK, and obviously it's illegal to put them back. So you can either euthanise them or you know keep them in the tank in your bedroom, as my case. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I disinfect uh, the water before uh, you know the wastewater before it goes down the drain, uh, usually with bleach. 
uh, or you, you can buy, uh, you know, vet level disinfectants like Vercon and other stuff. But you know, it, it's quite a hassle. You know, bleach you can pick up in Tesco for a couple of quid, so it makes it a lot easier. Uh, yeah. You know, I also keep handling of the animals down to minimum but when i do uh you know i wear gloves and stuff like that and just try to you know keep a barrier between myself and the animals as much as possible and keep handling down to minimum and all those sorts of bits and pieces just to try to stop uh, or reduce the risk of c- contamination anywhere well, okay cool so you're talking to three blokes who predominantly keep pythons uh, and snakes i know danny keeps a couple of different lizards as well mm-hmm. yeah danny's, um, got, danny's got quite a, a diverse now, collection hasn't he? out of all the things don't talk about me <laughs> um, out of all the things that you could keep why newts uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not judging you that's all like oh, no, 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 sure. uh, you know i've kept chrissy geckos and, and corn snakes in the past uh, and stuff like that again it comes down to the fact that at the moment, I'm spending six months of the year in Kent and six months in Norfolk. Uh, big up Norfolk, Danny. Uh, yeah, boy. Well, well, in gun, in gun, in gun. Right, so when you leave Norfolk, do you struggle yep. to get out as well? The, that Norfolk border control can be quite tricky. Well, the thing is, I'm from Essex. I'm, I'm you know, I can't believe they could let no, me in Well, 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 Danny, you're originally from Essex. Um, my family are. Right, okay. So that means yeah, you've the, 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 truth, the truth is... That means truth you've is, got an Essex passport... Right, you, you've been fucking with yeah. us for weeks and months. <laughs> <laughs> now the truth, the truth is, uh, if he's if he's from Essex, then uh, we we probably couldn't want to get rid of him. <laughs> get out! <laughs> get in the sea. Can I ask one question really quickly? While, while you've sure. got me butted in, while you did it, you, you just brought me in on this conversation. I was happily just having a sleep there. Um, <laughs> Are frogs, are toads, actually frogs? Are toads actually frogs? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. Yes! What? Yes! Yes! I fucking knew it. I actually knew something about frogs. That's amazing. Okay. Bear in mind, it's, it's, it's n- none complex. of us know anything about frogs. Can, yeah, can, you, cool. can you explain that? <laughs> yes, I'll answer this quickly, then go back to the whole python thing. So... Mm-hmm. So frogs and toads are in a, you know, a big group called the neurons, which in Greek means without a tail. And, uh, you know, there are 35, 36 families in there. Uh, only one of them is true toads, which is Bufonidae, which is what a common toad and everything else that, that we recognize as a toad in Europe belongs, belongs to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there are lots of other species in different families within, within that whole classification system that can be called either frogs or toads. And, you know, it's just arbitrary uh, based on their appearance. You know, a lot of languages like Spanish, for example, doesn't have a distinguishing word between frogs and toads. Neither the other languages like Malay or Indonesian. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's a cultural thing as well as, uh, you know, a language thing. Uh, but, yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks. So, would you say they're usually referred to by by a visual thing? Obviously, um, a toad or a frog. So, you, 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 when you think of a frog, you think of you know an animal that hops around that has smooth skin, and when you think of a toad, you know it's something it's, you know just crawls around and has you know more Drier. more bumpy, yeah. watery skin. You know, just a little bit more dry exactly, and, and avoids ponds. Uh, or water bodies for long periods of time, but that isn't always the case. Obviously, you have you know tropical species of toads that live in streams uh, and other stuff. But again, you know it's a very, a very Western-centric 
sort of uh, viewpoint we have, and I think it you know it just dates back to the Victorians and the fact that you know they were trying to compare everything that we had with Europe with the rest of the world, which obviously breaks down on so many levels. But uh, it was just easier for them to you know document and classify things as they went along. Basically, yeah. they were tryhards. <laughs> uh, and you know it didn't, it didn't exactly work out for the best of them but you know uh, they, they, they try what they could basically going back to the question about keeping animals because uh, we went off a bit of a tangent there uh, so I used to keep you know uh, corn snakes crested geckos uh, and when I was living in Cambridge I worked closely with one of the local reptile shops so if any species came in as stowaways in like supermarkets or whatever else, you know, they'd come to me, go through quarantine process and then find a home. And most of the time I kept them because they were cool and used yeah. them outreach with school kids and, you know, everything else. Uh, so, you know, I, I went through that stage, but because at the moment I'm moving around such a lot, uh, you know, back and forth between different places, it just, you know, it just isn't easy for me to keep anything other than some nudes that, you know, I can dump on my friends for a, for a little while because they need, you know, no care whatsoever apart from being fed every now and again if they remember uh whereas you know when it, when it comes to you know uh, a snake there's obviously uh more advanced husbandry involved uh but you know once i finish my studies and get settled down you know no doubt i'll, I'll you know slingshot myself back into that into that scene Okay. You must have uh, you must have uh, had some interesting animals come through. You said that you know any unwanted animals that had jumped on the banana wagon or or, or oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, my 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 granddad used to own a fruit and veg shop, and that they was constantly getting frogs in the bananas. Um, so so what type of animals did you get coming through to you? Well, the, 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 I think the most frequent thing that we had coming through were, was geckos, uh, where you know fruit and veg as well as flowers had been grown in the Mediterranean, and it was then, you know, shipped to the UK. Uh, although there were cases where, again, where, where flowers and stuff have been grown in South Africa, and, you know, reed frogs have been brought in uh, that way. Uh, so, yeah, most of it, it was, you know, it was just, just small gecko species, uh, or, you know, the occasional frog. Although, it, it, here's a funny story I've got to tell you, because, yeah, I can't fucking believe it myself, but this it, 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 it is... <laughs> 100% verified. So, uh, the African common toad is introduced to the island, well, the island chain of Mauritius. And a couple of years ago, an elderly couple went there for their like their wedding anniversary. God knows how many years it was, you know, 30 or 40 something big. Uh, and uh, they came back to the UK, had to rush off to a family emergency or something, and just left their bags, you know, in their front room or whatever, uh, to to fester for two weeks. Uh, and then they came back, uh, noticed it was, you know, smelling a bit, so chucked it all in the washing machine. Uh, and then whilst, whilst, uh, you know, going for the washing, the, you know, the, the, the lady found a toad amongst their clothes, still alive, uh, despite the fact that they'd been sitting in the suitcase for two weeks and gone for the washing wow. machine. Uh, for a spin cycle. <laughs> for a spin cycle, exactly. It must have been really fucking dizzy. Unfortunately, the woman, she, she freaked out a bit. She rang the home office and all around the place, fortunately broken all these international laws for bringing in an in, invasive species. <laughs> uh, as I was further down the chain, I'm the one that didn't intercept it, and whilst it was in my care, it shed a load of parasitic worms. Uh, all of them were dead, probably because it was killed by the aerial or personal detergent, whatever was used in, in the wash. Uh, and these worms 
that have recently been sent off to the world expert in, in spiny-headed worms, and it turns out they're a new fucking species. No way! So we found a new species, a parasitic worm, that could have got into the wild here in the UK and done God knows what to our native toads, but luckily, because of this toad going through the spin cycle, it seems to have knocked out all of the parasites, and we discovered them by accident because we were looking wow. That's it's incredible, that is, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. I mean, I mean, it just shows, though, you know, that happened just that, you know, it can happen to a lot of other people throughout the world, and this is how these things can get, you know, transported well, about. Yeah, and I think it's it's a big message to people who, you know, obviously we still import a lot of captive, so a lot of wild-caught animals, um, and a lot of people don't quarantine, they say they do, or if they do, it's a half-assed measure of it. And I think it just stresses how important it is. You could literally, by importing that animal that you really want in your bedroom, you could quite literally, single-handedly, fuck our native wildlife, wildlife up. It's, quite, it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we we talk about quarantine in the reptile world and it's usually putting it in another in another room for, for six to eight weeks or, or, or a period of months. But really, that's not how you, you, you carry out quarantine. And, and, and I, I, I should imagine that Stephen will probably be able to tell us a little bit more about that um, through sort of like, you know, some of the protocols you have to go through working with um, some of the species that you do. No, no, definitely. So, uh, yeah, there, there, there's quite a lot of guidance out there with protocols at the moment. So I should have said that at the moment I'm currently working on my PhD studying grass snakes. So thank God you can't smell me at the moment because I just smell like grass snake musk. Nice. Coming out back from the field, literally cooked my dinner, uh, went to the pub, got a few takeaways, and then, uh, you know, sat down really waiting for your call. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we're, we're working with grass snakes, looking at uh, snake fungal disease, uh, which is now commonly known as uh, aphidiomycosis. And at the moment, uh, yeah, uh, as I'm sure some of you are aware, especially listeners, you know, this disease is causing decline to snakes across North America, where we've known about it for longer, but we've only known, only known about it in the UK since 2016. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm working on a population, and so far things look okay. Uh, you know, you know, you see snakes that, uh, they're a, a bit worse for wear, but after they've sloughed, uh, you know, they, they you know they bounce back again, as it were. Uh, so, so what are you doing with the, with the snakes at the moment, then, with the grass snakes? So catching them, weighing them, measuring them, swabbing them, and then I'll be analysing the swabs for the presence of you know snake fungal disease DNA uh, come the autumn uh, once the field season's finished, and then relaying that back and trying to match up whether or not the positives. Uh, correlate with any particular signs of disease uh, and then trying to you know uh, investigate that further next year uh, but what we don't know at the moment is whether or not uh, the North American strains of the disease are here uh, in the UK we, we know there's there's two distinct lineages the North American one and the European one but obviously yeah. with captive uh, you know, captive animals and ones that especially been, you know, world caught and then sold as, you know, uh, as captive pets, there's that, that you know, that chance for spillover. Uh, and it's the same with, with B cell, the salamander, chytrid fungus, which everybody is shitting themselves about in the moment because if that gets in the wild, it could be fired by great crested newts. Uh, yeah. So there is a, uh, you know, a heightened need for biosecurity, uh, you know, 
in you know the, the captive community and i think a lot of people you know are doing a great job it just takes that one person that you know gets a little bit lazy or complacent and it you know just makes everyone else's hard work pointless because uh, yeah. once those diseases are out there you know th- there's nothing you can do to stop them yeah it's a shame that isn't it like you say all the hard work and then it can be just undone quite easily by one other person so it just means you know it's so so important that everybody does uh you know carry out the correct biodiversity that they should um just just going back on something that you mentioned right sure, at sure. the start of the podcast mate um and you said that obviously you end up keeping a lot of the non-native species um and a lot of people don't know this and and, and i found this out quite recently um i was out with my daughter and we spotted some marsh frogs um i didn't know there were marsh frogs at the time i quickly looked through sort of like native species and i thought oh my word could that be a pool frog um i didn't sort of like know too much about them but i knew i I believe that they were sort of like pretty much extinct throughout the uk it was the only thing that matched up there was a very very close looking um frog to to the pool frog um so i went back the next day i'd spoke to a couple of experts and, and and they said can you get some closer photos but when you catch them the the regs say that you're not allowed to put them back but i think there's a bit of muddy water there because i think another law says that you can't kill them or it's one of them okay so the frogs frogs that you found uh are almost definitely marsh frogs yeah i think that was from spain yeah yeah which it is illegal to release The, the pool frogs uh they said that there's only, there's only one area in the UK where there are native pool frogs. There are lots That's of right. introduced there's lots of introduced pool frogs uh, and marsh frogs as well because you know the Victorians like to go over to the continent, grab shit, and stick it in a garden to make it look cool. Which is again how midwife toads got here, which we'll come to in a minute. Right. Uh, but yeah, so there are two reintroduction sites for pool frogs, which are near where I'm based here in Thetford. Uh, East Anglia. You see, yeah, it's, it's, it's in Norfolk, East Anglia. It's, it's yeah. the last place they were known to exist up until their extinction in 1997. And they live, they lived in pingos, which are ponds that are created by the breakup of an ice sheet. And then the ice then depresses the ground, uh, and then the meltwater fills the pond up, basically. Uh, right. And the poor frogs lived in, in these pingos. Uh, and they were first reintroduced in 2005, a wild-to-wild reintroduction from Sweden, and it's been going on ever since. Uh, and so they troll yeah, it for a private site and it's sorry now gone to, on to sorry to jump in there sure, sure. You, you mentioned that there was reintroduced from sweden and i yeah. believe that's because genetically they were the closest to our native species is that yes, correct definitely yeah. so yes so there was there was lots of evidence there was zoo archaeological evidence there was bioacoustic evidence and genetic evidence that the swedish pool frogs the northern clade pool frogs were as close to the British ones as we could get without, you know, bringing the British ones back, uh, you know, by just jumping into DeLorean and going at 88 miles an hour when you're 25. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so th- th- those were there. And then the marsh frogs uh, are a different story. So marsh frogs were first introduced to the UK in 1935 in Romney Marsh in Kent. And since then, they've spread all, all around the uh, Sussex, Kent, where I'm from in South Essex, you know, East London, and there have been other introductions around the place up until it was outlawed in 1981, uh, all, all around the country, so the fucking everywhere, like bull lizards and, and, you know, all these other introduced species. Uh, yeah. that, that were, you know, that the reason being is that 
uh, as I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, there's been a massive shift in in imported animals for the pet trade over the past 30 or 40 years. So in the 70s and the 80s, it was mainly European species that were coming in, you know, like marsh frogs or, or fire-bellied toads or alpine newts or stuff like that. And then yeah. as we got into the 90s, into early 2000s, there was big shift to stuff like corn snakes and, and ball pythons and chameleons and stuff like that, you know, more, more further afield because we've managed to pin down their husbandry and it was easier to keep and breed them as it was to just harvest everything from the continent and ship it back in the back of your Ford Fiesta uh, and then you stuck up your local pet shop. Stephen, I'm really surprised an educated man like yourself refers to the Royal Python as a ball python. Yeah, well, just, uh, you, you just stop. Stop. Fiver. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a fiver to charity, mate. Don't worry, we'll get there. The, the, the reason being is that I've been reading a lot of American articles on it recently. So it's one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Wait, can, I, I, I totally can I agree with you? Can I jump in for one second? Go nuts. Please. Um, so, Stephen, you're, did you say you're based in Thetford right now? Are you living I'm, in Thetford? I'm just outside of Thetford right now, yes. Okay, cool. When are we going herping? I'm uh, literally 15 minutes up the road. You're in Kings Lynn, right? Yeah. Uh, let me message after this call and we'll set school something out. Awesome. Thanks. Cool. Cool. Um, I'm networking. <laughs> Mate, uh, it's not it's not flirting, it's networking. Yeah, it's not often, no, of course it is. Not often. Then you get Steve, someone your Steven, side of the border, mate. Stephen, just as a favour, mate, keep your arse cheeks really close together. <laughs> yeah, I'll clench them as there. tight as possible because he likes it feels it. better that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> look at this one here. Look at this. I've just found this this toad here. Bend over. Look, it's right there. Yeah, pick, it, pick it up for me. Pick it up. <laughs> uh, so you, see, you, you guys worry about, about uh, Danny being the one to, to worry about. What if it's me that you got to watch, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm excited. Yeah, but I've, I've, <laughs> the thing is, though, Matt, I've seen his test results, so I'd be, uh, <laughs> I'd be hey, shocked stop. otherwise. Stop it. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so let, let's talk about the work that you're doing at the moment with the okay, midwife sure. frogs, yeah? <laughs> Look, you've just said that a toad and a frog are basically the same thing. Midwife okay, okay, and frog. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll call them midwife amphibians. There we go. Yeah, we go. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, which one of those first? What we've been up to, or? or yeah, so, what, so do you want to tell us a little bit about them? Sure, sure. History, so, of, history of how they got into the country and, and, and then what you're doing all about them. Okay, get ready for another history lesson, lads, because Steve has got information to impart on no, you. So absolutely. the the first colony was founded in Bedford in about 1903. It came over from France uh, in a you know shipment of plants because uh, there was a garden nursery there. And the toads were breeding on the site until about 1922 when the, the pond was destroyed. Some of the locals grabbed the toads and took them to the gardens in the surrounding area. Uh, and then a lot of populations have, uh, it's been said, they've been founded from the Bedford population, uh, although uh, we're not entirely sure how many, which is part of the work we're, we're investigating. And so there are about two dozen midwife toad sites in the UK at the moment. There's a, there's a lot here uh, in, you know, in, in the east of England, around Bedford and in, in Cambridge particularly, uh, and there's a, another cluster up towards Sheffield and Rotherham, uh, where they also moved there as well. So 
we're, we've been studying the Cambridge population since 2015. And since 2016, we've been swabbing them for, for chytrid fungus to see if they pose any threats to a native species. Uh, so far, you know, everything has come negative and, you know, the, the toads breed at a different time to our native species. Our native species obviously breed in the spring, you know, they go to ponds, do their business and get the hell out of Dodge. Whereas midwife toads will breed multiple times a year and they're breeding again now, you know, at the end of August, early September. The eggs will then hatch. The adults then bugger off, but the tadpoles will remain in the pond and over winter until next spring and then metamorphose and, you know, do their toady thing. So what we're doing at the moment is, and a lot of this has been, you know, been based on, you know, citizen science where people have been getting in contact with us uh, and helping us pin down where, where, you know, the populations are because they're not well documented and there's probably, you know, another dozen or so out there that we're not aware of that, you know, people might be able to help us with. So we've been going to these sites uh, and taking DNA samples from them. And what we're going to do when we've, you know, when we've collected A, enough money, because uh, we're crowdfunding at the moment to try and facilitate this work, but B, enough samples, is to uh, extract the DNA, uh, sequence it, uh, and then run that against a, a catalogue uh, of all of the known populations in Europe and find out where each of the populations came from. And that will also be able to tell us which populations in the UK were founded from, you know, populations from other populations. Uh, so but by doing this, you know, there's been this, you know, this 100-year rule, as it were, that all midwife toads in the UK came from France because that's where the Bedford population came from because it founded so many other populations, they must all be French. But mm. the, the Cambridge guys are Spanish in origin, and, you know, there's a 99.98% match uh, with... Uh, the toads from Asturias in northern Spain. So, you know, we can't say which pond they came from. You know, we can pretty much say whereabouts, which is, you know, pretty damn close yeah. uh, to being spot on. Uh, and we just want to do this with the rest of the, the populations to work out, uh, you know, if there's one, uh, you know, origin or multiple, and if so, why? And the other thing as well is that at the moment in a native range, midwife toads are, you know, are dropping like flies because uh, of diseases like kid and other bits and pieces right. so being the conservationist inside me midwife toads in europe are a protected species but that's negated here by our our you know our domestic laws because they're an invasive species under you know the eyes of uk law uh so potentially you could take some some midwife toads from the cambridge population because we know they're from spain breed them in captivity and then release them back into spain and try to bolster the populations that are already there as right. a way to try and fight disease. So yeah. it, this has a multifaceted uh, approach is to A, figure out where they came from, how many introductions there were, and can they be used to reinforce uh, the populations in the native countries that are currently suffering declines due to disease, habitat loss, etc. Okay, so the, so the, end, the end goal is to try and P perhaps breed the, these healthy ones and re-release them into other countries that, that are suffering. That, that, where they are native. Exactly. Yeah. Potentially, yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a long way off. There's going to be a lot of paperwork yeah. and everything else, but it, it mm -hmm. opens that possibility, yes. It's like yeah. the Swedes doing, you know, the, the, for the pool frogs to us, what, what, you know, and we're, we could do it back to the Spanish uh, native species of midwife toad or, exactly, or the French. Yes. The, 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 the other thing as well is that there are, there are five species of midwife toads, uh, four in Europe, one in northern, northern Africa and Morocco. 
And again, it's, it's long assumed that they're all, they're all the one species, Elites obstetricans, the, the common midwife toad. But they could be, you know, a mismatch of, you know, the other species. It could be, you know, a whole population of hybrids or, you know. Yeah. Uh, but again, so, the DNA will be able to re- reveal everything. We'll be able to figure out what the fuck is going on with these midwife toads. Right. So here's 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 a possibly dumb question. Um, since th- when when did you say they first came over? Nineteen oh two. So that's so that's okay. So that's you know just shy of one hundred and twenty years. Yeah. When when at what point does a species um, get classed, or it does it ever? Get classed as a native species. Well, How long does it have to be in the country? Well, this is the thing: is that for native species, people tend to, you know, the cutoff is, you know, ten thousand years ago. Uh, oh, bloody hell! Got a way to go. Because, well, I mean, because let's face it. I mean, most of the species here haven't haven't been here forever. Oh no, no, a, a yeah, and there is this other species classification known as naturalized, which is what uh-huh. you know what we want to try to do with midwife toads. Because come on, you know, we've only got seven native species of amphibians. You know, midwife toads and we can we can look after them as well. You know, yeah, we've got room for them. Cool. You know, and they eat flies. It's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> the the bugger me as well, mate. So don't worry, we'll put the flies in Norfolk. But, you know, the, the thing is, mm. is that in small localised populations, using people's gardens in urban areas, you know, they're not causing much harm. As far as we can tell, they're free of disease, which is great, particularly if yes. we're going to reintroduce them into, you know, the native countries. We need them to be de- disease free, so they, you know, accept the infection. And, and, and they're not doing huge amounts of damage. No, no, they're not. And the thing is, their dispersal ability is very small. So if you if you were to map out where they are now and where they were, you know, when those populations were founded, they're still going to be in the same area by you know by a few hundred meters, uh, because yeah, they they like to stay still. The males will hide under yeah. paving slabs or you know in, in gaps in bricks and just. Sit I feel, there I feel like cool. it's always. I feel like it's almost unjust to call them invasive, well, because the if, they, if the species isn't doing anything wrong, do you know what well, I mean? And not not. Know, of course, I, I tend to call them non-native or alien species. You know, invasive yeah. to me. Uh, you know, it's a harsh word, isn't it? If, do not like the grey squirrel. Okay, you can call them invasive. Yeah. It has this know. underlying uh, sort of meaning that they're doing damage, as you said. Whereas <laughs> midwife toads aren't. They're just sitting there doing their thing and having a good time while they're doing it. Can I ask yeah. a question, Steve? Sure, sure. And by the sound of it, I think I know the answer, but you mentioned that they have different breeding patterns. Is there any chance that a, um, a midwife toad or a non-native toad could breed with any of our native toads? Midwife toads, no. Uh, yeah. But potentially, you know, members of the same genus, if you had another bufo species come along, it may be able to hybridise with a common toad. Okay. Uh, but, you know... Yeah, that's just basically a different uh, uh, just like locality same same sort of like species different locality yes yeah, so it's, it's one of those things that you know common toads are, are dumb as shit you know they, they have three basic rules as to whether something is female you know is it near a pond yes does it make a sound no that's good and uh, <laughs> does it move and if it does all three of those things then it must be a female. So I've, said, yeah, probably, yeah. I've had to remove common toads because they're clutching onto great Christian newts. Like, come here, bastard. That's not a female. They're over there. <laughs> yeah, or, and you or, do or, get... Yeah. They're grabbed onto goldfish or water bowls that are floating in a pond or, you know, common oh frogs. And like, yeah. guys, no, did you not watch the sounds educational good. video? This sounds isn't like, how you mate. Sounds like... So basically, you're, 
So you're basically you're studying the studying the, the dumbest creature on earth. Really. <laughs> basically, no wonder they're declining. Uh, dumbest still the horniest. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. They they've taken a note out of the bloody Dodo's book, haven't they? That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if you guys ever have seen the research. It came out three years ago, or just under three years ago. Uh, there, there was some research published by by a, a group of people that showed that common toads in the UK have declined by 68% over the past 30 years. Uh, wow. And the, the reason being, see, yeah, they're now the uncommon toad. Uh, mm-hmm. The reason being is obviously housing developments have, you know, have destroyed habitat, but roads have crossed, out, you yeah. know, their migration sites and everything else. Uh, 68% in three years? 30 years. 30 years. 30 years. Uh, so, yeah, uh, one thing I will say to people listening is that, you know, I'm heavily involved with, you know, conservation of uh, British herbs, and I know a lot of people listening will keep, you know, captive animals from further afield, but, you know, there's nothing like getting involved with a local group. So uh, there's a network of groups in the UK under the banner of Amphibian Reptile Groups UK. Every county has a local group, but they should do. Uh and you can get out, get involved, you know, do surveys, do habitat maintenance, and just make a real difference. And you yeah. know, if you, if you're not the sort of person that you know feels like getting out and you know being in the pouring rain, stopping toads being run over by cars, or you know getting getting frostbitten fingers in the winter, clearing out ponds, you know there are plenty of apps out there that can help you record wildlife, uh, like Record Pool or iNaturalist or uh, iRecord, which. You know, every record is valuable, and each of those records helps to map the distribution of species and allow someone like myself to come along and work out if species are declining or, or not. And without yeah. those records, we, we surely don't know uh, what's going on. And so this this toad paper was able to draw on 30 years of volunteer data on toad crossings around the country uh, and was looking at, you know, the number of toads uh caught at the crossings across those 30 years how many sites were still active and you know all that sort of stuff and was able to work out that yeah toads are in big trouble at the moment uh mm-hmm. because of you know these these changes in habitat structure but also mainly uh just the way that we've, we've modified the landscape which has made it very untoad friendly yeah do you know what it's good that you mentioned uh, these groups that, that all these conservation groups that is going on um i was out uh, doing some photography a little while ago and there was a couple there who was they was doing bee surveys and they said we love it we go out we walk along the countryside we note down what bees we found um and, and there's more and more people getting involved in it and, and there really should be as well it's really important for our, our wildlife Kind of sure, you know. I'm only using reptiles and amphibians as an example because I can imagine that's the common denominator by everybody listening. But yeah, you can go and record birds or butterflies or orchids or whatever, whatever's in the wild, you know, in the wild scene that you want to go and see. Just record it, and you know, there was a piece of research that I published earlier this year looking at terrapin sightings, and via the you know the official channels, there was I think there was like 79 records of terrapins in the UK. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, you be, being the, the savvy person I am, I thought, fuck it, let's look at Flickr. Because people take pictures, yeah. they stick them on social media, and, you know... Not recorded. Uh, they're, not, well, they're, not, they're not recorded, but they can still act as a record, because a lot of pictures are geo-referenced, and you can identify the species from the photograph. Yeah. Um, so I used this information and was able to find an additional 289 records of terrapins in the UK. Uh, yeah. That was over the course of 10 years between 2008 and 2018. But it highlights, you know, the point that not 
every animal that is seen is recorded and if it was you know would have a much better picture of what's going on with our native wildlife not just reptiles and amphibians or invasive species but birds bats you know just just everything yeah uh, yeah I mean, I, I found a, a common lizard recently in my local park, and I looked on the database, and nobody had recorded one for 20 years, 1999. Um, yeah. So I just thought, you know what, I, I, I'm going to, there was a there was a doctor's name on the top of it, or professor's name, I thought, I'm going to send him an email with a photograph, and he come back, give me a grid reference, yeah, spot on, and now that's changed now, and it's got my name next to it. Uh, and the species and i thought you know what That's, i loved that um but yeah people should record things a little bit more um it'd be, it'd be great you know especially the 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 uncommon uncommon species oh no sure and the, the thing is is that unfortunately even the common species are now becoming uncommon uh you know adders which were once widespread across the uk are dropping off and it could be extinct within 20 years yeah, uh, unfortunately you know common toads are dropping uh, as we've already said, you know, common frogs, grass snakes, you know, these species don't have any specific protection in the UK, so developers can just bulldoze their habitat, unless it's something like a natterjack toad or a, a smooth snake or a sand lizard, you know, that has high levels of legal protection as well as great crested newts, then that's obviously when special considerations have to be taken. But if you've got a pond that's just full of frogs and toads, it doesn't give a fuck, they'll bulldoze it, and it's like bye bye. You know, amphibians, yeah. but also the dragonflies and everything else that uses that pond as a home. And a lot of dragonflies are declining rapidly because, you know, they're being bulldozed. Uh, the, you know, the habitats, not the dragonflies themselves, you know, they're not that big. Uh, at least I hope they're not. Uh, and, yeah, it, it, it's a sad story and a sad state of affairs when, you know, I saw a, a news article the other day uh, showing that, you know, a new European report has shown that a lot of the UK's uh, you know, natural landscapes and habitats, uh, you know, a far, you know, reduced level than what they were, you know, a few years ago, or what our targets are. And here we are, you know, preaching the countries about looking after their wildlife when we can't even do it ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, think, I think one of the issues is that a lot of people have become so disconnected from nature that they have no idea what the fuck's going on anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the, the, you know, we've come to this stage in society where nature's a commodity and not an intrinsic part of our life and so people just can't be bothered anymore yeah it's such a such mm -hmm. a sh shame um, and you, you mentioned in that about you know people bulldozing i mean habitat uh, loss is the major cause of, of uh, wildlife um, or extinction in, in certain wildlife. Um, Ross Deakin said a little while back to, to us that uh, we went out looking for adders with him and he said one of the sites he looked at, they went and did a, a controlled sort of like burning of the area without letting them know and he said if we'd have been told we'd have gone in there, taken the adders out and then let them do the burning and then replace them after and they didn't um and i dread to think how many adders would have been killed during that um yeah i forget what they call it now i mean it's like a controlled burning of the area isn't it but uh i mean ah oh, unfortunate least... i had a similar experience when i was living in cambridge and working in the area there when uh we'd set up a, a community project to survey all of the common land for reptiles and so we laid out a number of uh I think it was 150, you know, uh, one meter square uh, carpet, not carpet tile, roofing tile, uh, you know, squares yes. for, for uh, to act as refugia. And, yeah, and we put them all in the specific areas where there's going to be you know, a five, ten meter buffer strip 
uh, cutting, you know, from the grass so that, you know, there was room for, you know, birds and insects and, you know, everything else to, to do its stuff. So, you know, it was that like, great, they're going to be safe then. No, there's nothing to tamper with them, shoved down. Uh, we left them to bed in for a couple of weeks, as you do. Came back to begin the surveys with this big group of volunteers and then found that the contractor that the council had obviously gotten to do the work, that, you know, that didn't give a toss and didn't listen to their instructions, mowed everything down. And unfortunately, oh. underneath the remnants of some of our refugia, you know, we found, you know, grass snakes and toads and everything else in a billion pieces where they've just been cut, you know, cut by these blades. Where they obviously yeah. thought it was safe. Uh, and oh. yeah, unfortunately, they died. And I suspect it's the same with, you know, the burnings and the moors and everything else that, you know, you've got adders and other reptiles and other, other wildlife just in these hibernacula. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and refugia. And they, you know, they feel safe there. And unfortunately, it's not. And, and you know, they perish that way. Mm, it's mm. a real shame, isn't it? It's just mm. the way that we've gone now. And like you say, it, as humans, we just don't give a shit anymore. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. You know, we go out to yeah. these places and, and you know, it's I fell in love with the photography recently. And, and I'm really seeing things a little bit differently now because I'm seeing them through a lens and you're recording things and you want to sort of like look, refer back to the photos. And, and, you know, to think that some of the places you go to could be housing developments or whatever in years to come it's sickening i think there's so much i know the the thing that that makes me you know quite upset is that you know the thing you know 20 or 30 years down the line the the only adders or you know common toads that we have in the uk may just be in private collections or in zoos and you know it it gets with sad state of affairs when you know when you have a, a, a one very common species a very widespread species get to that you know, turning point when well, it's, it's human, you know, isn't it? It, it becomes extremely rare, and people can't go out and see it in the, in the, in the native, you know, habitat. And if people yeah. can't see nature, if they can't experience it, they won't care, and they won't continue to fight for it. And so we've got this negative feedback loop where people can't see species because they're not there, uh, and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it has to do with how humans just are self-destructive. And so, something actually happened today whilst I was in work um, that just backs this up. And I do think we need to do a podcast episode just on this topic in itself. But I went into a, a news agent today and I bought a pack of chewing gum. Right, just a pack of chewing gum, which is what? Three inches by an inch, if that tiny little yeah. packet. The guy goes, would you like a bag? Now... Mike and Danny, you know what my reaction to that was. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Why the fuck do I need a bag for? Like, yeah. it's going to go in my pocket, like, and it's going to stay there. Why do I need a bag? I kind of breathed and. Yeah, you're back. speechless, yeah. And I was like, right, okay, look, do me a favour. When someone buys a single item, especially as small as a pack of chewing gum, they are going to mm-hmm. take the bag because one it's polite to say yes and second people don't think but what what's that bag gonna do it's holding fuck all it's doing nothing apart from just fucking the, the world up even more mm-hmm. and he kind of looked at me as if like i've gone fucking mad but i am right mm-hmm. you know yeah you're right. I, I've, known, I've known about the subway thing before when i was at a service station and someone you know the bloke in front of me you know had a bag for his sandwich and then he walked all of three metres, sat at a table, took the sandwich out of the bag and ate it and then put the, mm-hmm. the bag in the bin 
10 minutes later. Mm-hmm. That bag has been used for 10 minutes tops. So when it was my turn... Worse. You know, when it, when it was my turn to get served and Jasmine won a bag, I told her. Now, she probably thinks I'm an absolute ass and I'm off my fucking head. But if, if we don't start kind of like making people aware that there's these little tiny things that we do mm-hmm. that's potentially taking away our native wildlife, that's potentially killing the polar bears, the penguins, and mm-hmm. the Amazon rainforest, and all these other crazy you know, animals that we love. And it's, it's, it's as simple as that. And I am not perfect. I, I Sometimes I hate myself when I do things and I go, fuck's sake, man. You need to think more eco-friendly. But we are literally mm-hmm. going to destroy the planet if we don't do it. And we're going to take away species. And we are can, uh, we can only going to be able to enjoy them from what a few select people have preserved, which is just not on. Uh, yeah. I'm going to shut up. No, I totally agree. And I think the, the issue is, is that, you know, everybody thinks you have to make these massive you know intrinsic changes to you know save the planet but really you know just one or two small changes in your lifestyle can have a massive effect and, you know like saying no to plastic whether it be you know straws are now outdoor but you can still find in some places in plastic bags you know saying no to, to you know plastic bottles uh, uh you know on a regular basis all, all these sorts of things you know it, it all adds up and you know stops that going to the landfill or ending up in the environment and having catastrophic effects you know, we've we've just started doing, and it was ever so simple. We've got some plastic bottles that we use from squash, and we're actually filling them up with tap water and putting them in the fridge. So we're reusing them and reusing them and reusing them as much as we can. Those are just little things that you can that, that you can do rather than going and buying another bottle of water. I mean, especially I mean where where we're from, myself and Haas, uh, the water that we get is fantastic water. It comes from Wales, and uh, you know it's super super. Fr- it, it, it's really good quality water. I know sir areas really suffer with hard water and whatnot but here we're looking you know fill up your bottles of water with tap water and keep using them my cousin did an experiment on his daughter because she was saying no you can't beat bottled water that you buy in the shops so what he did he stopped buying it and he started filling it up with tap water and it, it wasn't the fact that it was bottled water it's because it was cold because it'd been kept in the fridge so he swapped it with tap water put it in the fridge and she didn't she didn't even realize so it's all mind over matter mm-hmm. no of course it is it's just one of those those things that you know, people who always claim they can tell the difference between coke and pepsi when you stick them on the spot they haven't got a fucking idea uh, yeah. and i think it comes down to people's perceptions and also expectations and if you can you know can change that as well as their viewpoint and then you know you're happy as larry and, and everything should should work smoothly but you know there are some people out there that will only, you know, buy, I don't know, like, retro's fruit and veg that, you know, that comes in, like, 17 tonnes of plastic or, or something. I, I know Waitrose doesn't because they're working very hard to reduce their, their plastic footprint. But, you know, it, it's just one of those things that, you know, and the other thing as well is the amount of food waste that we have that, you know, is contributing to habitat loss because we have to grow more because people have these really strong aesthetic views of what a carrot should look like or a parsnip or a pepper. So it's a fucking carrot just eat it yeah, it doesn't yeah. look like you're going to cut it anyway yeah and you go to, to Spain and they've got a totally different outlook on it they don't care about the colour or the look of it they're, they're, they'll smell it yeah that's nice and fresh they'll put it they'll put it in their paper bag uh, and, and they'll pick stuff like that but in this country we are absolutely mad about it being in the prettiest packaging 
they have to be a certain shape they have to be a certain colour otherwise it just gets thrown away the farmers are losing out massively the amount of waste food from this country because it doesn't look yeah. right or appear right mm-hmm. is absolutely disgraceful and I have always said that yeah but it's the big supermarkets that are causing this and they're the ones that need to to, to sort this shit out because their changes can make a massive difference oh no it's certainly you know 100 and i think i remember one of the things that we always used to do when i was a kid growing up is you know we'd always go find a farm somewhere and you know do a bit of pick your own and that appears to i haven't seen a pick your own farm in god knows how many years you know they all no. have dried up i'm not sure if mm-hmm. you guys have any near where you are but you know yeah we it, do it, it was a pastime that uh, you know we used to you know partake in when i was you know like from the ages of seven to 13 14 you know the family you know summer holidays go away you know somewhere uh, unfortunately somewhere like great yarmouth or uh or you know somewhere else on the norfolk or, or lincolnshire coast and yeah. you know, on the way back or you know whatever else would find a pick your own go pick some strawberries pick some apples whatever else job done yeah and, you know it's and great fun for kids as well you can eat as much strawberries as you like whilst you're going around you know what I, mean? I have yeah. always i have always wondered when when as a society when we got so fucking up our own asses like oh, going back man. to what you said going back to what you said phelps about everything having to be perfect i've always asked the question um of when 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 did we feel like we deserved to have um the best meats and things like that going to meet like we have to have um the 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 best you know juiciest meat you know it's got to be young animals why why yeah why why have we got to have that who who, why why who who gives us the right to demand that yeah, but you know what? Even my mum does that. She goes, we go to KFC and she goes, oh, make sure you don't give me the breast piece. It's really dry. You know what? Be glad you've got food. And mum, I love yeah. you. I'm sorry. But yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But it's so glad you got food, man, yeah. because, you know, that, that chicken, one, is died for you. And I'm not going to go vegetarian in your ass because I'm blankly in a vegetarian. But, you know what I mean? The chicken died for you to eat it. It's food. It's supposed to keep you alive. And yeah, okay, it's nice for it to be. Uh, more pleasurable to the palate, but I disagree. I disagree, Hoss. Go on then. And the, and the reason I disagree, it's got nothing to do with the chicken. It's to do with how it's cooked. That is, and that's all. So <laughs> it, 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 we are on about KFC. Yeah, it goes, to all, meats, though, yeah, it goes to all meats. Like you know, hundreds of years ago, when people used to farm their own stuff and breed their own animals. They would only they would only eat the animals that have have grown old and died of natural yeah. causes, right? You know, or, old age or, or whatever. That, oh, that one's got a gammy foot. It's not going to go on much, right? Exactly. If we ate humans, because I've got a gammy arm, would I have been eating years ago? Oh, mate, you'd be taking clean out. Oh, <laughs> dude, well, Danny, you, Danny, you, you I mean, one ear. You'd have been a feast. You'd be. No, you'd have, and Danny's only got one ear. Yeah, I'm gone. You can eat that's me second though, because I really mate, want to eat half. That's why I'm the oldest one on the podcast. <laughs> I've got fuck all wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, sorry, apart, Steve. Apart you from, say. Apart from we, you, we, not to worry. <laughs> we do this very. We do this quite a lot. We just go off on one. Would you? Would you? Would you? Oh, be, would you be cold? Would you be cold for being ugly? Because Phelps would be gone. 
Oh, oh, oh. Ooh. Shot fire. I didn't even say anything. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. You'd be, you'd be called for being a fucking cheeky shit, you would. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Have a, right. have a fight. Have a fight. <laughs> oh, he um, learned today. <laughs> Uh, uh, one last thing and I know we've sort of like gone on off on a tangent about sort of like saving the planet and that but just bringing it back home and 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 something that I saw a little while ago and, and I haven't had a chance to bring it up yet um, I went I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a, a site by me that, that has adders in and I when I got to the gate um, of, of to go in there was a sign that somebody had put up with danger warning um there are adders in this uh, location. Um, my, my dog had got bitten by an adder. They are just coming out of hibernation and they are full of venom. Um, and and it went on as though these things was horrible. Be careful of your dogs. Instead, it should have had a sign saying, be careful where you walk. We are walking in, you know, a beautiful creature's um, habitat here. Keep your dogs on a lead because they will injure or hurt a native species that's going, you know, uh, 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 you know, slipping towards extinction. I'm not and, and funny, when, Mike, right? when we, think... Me and Mike went herping, right? We're looking for adders. Found no. Oh, adders, here we go. Right. And the only uh. thing we did find, right, was a sheep carcass that a dog had killed. Yeah. Like, like, well, this, really, this come is, on, uh, like, you, you're worried about your dog, like, first, firstly, I'm pretty sure the majority of dogs, if they came across an ad, that would do one. Um, uh, and, and I bet it wasn't put in the papers. And I bet if that doesn't happen, the adder's doing one. Come on, we've all been herping, you know what I mean, as soon yeah. as the adder knows the you're there, would, the, adder would. the dog wouldn't, the adder would. Well, uh, my question is, when do we come to terms with, I mean, we've done it with cats, when do we come to terms with the fact that dogs are invasive species? And actually well, should not be actually roaming fields and commons and preserve areas off a lead. Well, there is that. <laughs> Mikey, well, Mike, are you Sorry? aware of the amount of dogs that live in the, the Sutton Park by us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? And no one ever brings that up, do they? You know, no. I mean? and a dog no. is more like liable to come over and munch on your kid when you're not looking than a fucking adder. <laughs> my, my dog is. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, sorry, Stephen. No, no, so there's a few, there's a few points there, and I think one of the main points is is that you know people like to walk their dogs where nature is, which you know is quite foolish uh, for the dogs that is, because people don't tend to keep them on leads, and of course. Mm -hmm when they come into contact with native wildlife, they blame the animals and not themselves because they're the ones that should be keeping dogs on leads uh, in the first mm -hmm. place, particularly in, in uh, you know, and, uh, in and, green areas. And what, yeah. what really gets me is the native species is blamed. Oh, no, of course it is. Of course it is. You know, you know, the snake, people, the snake the dog. People do not, you know, do not abide by the countryside code. They do not, you know, eat, you know, if you'd have had the warning signs everywhere, they probably see the signs, oh yeah, there's adders here, and then like, as soon as their dog gets bitten, they're like, oh shit, you know, adders. No, it's too late now, you dickheads, you know, you've got one of the people in the lead. And the yeah, other thing yeah. as well is that, as you said, adders tend to bolt as soon as, you know, danger comes their way. So my thinking is, is that a lot of these dog adder bites are actually things like wasps or stuff, because a lot of the dogs, their faces tend to swell up, and that doesn't look like an mm. adder bite to uh, me. It tends to look like a fucking wasp. Uh, yeah, another thing... 
is always treat them with antibiotics. If it's, if it's an adobite or a wasp sting, you want antihistamines to try and, you know, reduce any swelling yeah. when you look at yeah. reactions. Antibiotics are fucking pointless. Learn, vets. Useless. Learn. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad. Do you remember Ross sending us a, a link about, um, in a park, literally five minutes from, 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 my, from my, mine and Hossie's house, where a woman had been bit by an adder um or reportedly bit by an adder and when you read into it she was walking through the grass she felt a pain in her leg um and it was a bit sore after but there was two marks there when she went to hospital because it had swollen up they said because she thought it was a horsefly they said oh no that could be an adder bite now i've been to that park and i've been to uh places that hold adders there is no habitat in that park that would hold an adder plus there's not been one spotted in the Warwickshire area for God knows how many years, but it was like, oh yeah, we'll put this in the, in the papers now that she'd been bitten by an adder, and I thought there's absolutely no chance that happened at all. You yeah, know, it would it would have it would have been a horsefly bite, like you said, Steve. It's yeah. usually something else that stings them, and then and and she said she hadn't seen anything. But I'm like, mm. fucking hell. You would have seen the adder if it was there. And the thing is, is that the media likes to portray animals as these demonic possessed beings, like seagulls or or false widow spiders, and you know, and people getting bitten and attacked. You know, seagulls are trying as well. Uh, you know, there's all these you know, the media works well to demonise groups of people as well as animals so that people mm-hmm. can feel better about themselves well, and also, yeah. you know, think, think think it's it just Stop. Yeah, think of, yeah. think of it logically. The average mother, and this is no disrespect to anyone, will happily hold a hamster. Yet they will freak out mm-hmm. at something like a leopard gecko or a beaded dragon. Now, I've been bitten mm-hmm. by a hamster, I've been bitten by a leopard gecko, and I've been bitten by a beaded dragon. And I know which one I would much rather not be bitten by. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 100%, ha- hamsters yeah. are perfectly fine. You know, and I've had, you're less likely to be bitten yeah, by the bearded dragon I, I've than had le- more, far less. I have had more gnarly bites off rabbits and hamsters and species uh-huh. like that and cats and dogs than I have ever mm-hmm. had from any of my reptiles. Now, obviously, us, this is us, species dependent. No, Let's no, face it. Look at, yeah, you've been, you, everything bites you. Yeah, anything, yeah, it doesn't exactly, matter what And I can say this. <laughs> yes, you know what? If a python does bite you, they've got quite large teeth they are they are like little needles but they cause next to no damage but you bleed however a rabbit get out gets older yeah. it's taking a chunk out your hand yeah that means, uh, and you, they're fine let's let the children play with the rabbits but you wouldn't sit there with a, do, with a, with, with a, a leopard gecko and let the children play with it no no because it's evil no it's bollocks man yeah absolute bollocks do you know do you know do you know another thing that really really gets me is how, how people uh, uh, the fact that we need these signs, the, the, you, you live in this country, these are native species. They've been here since, uh, you know, a thousand times longer than you have. Yeah. You should know, you should know your native animals, espe- your native species, especially reptiles when we only have well, 24 yeah. of me, them. Me and Mike got you should know back. them and you should know their habitats. You, you re- Honestly, the general yeah. public really should know. They shouldn't need signs. They yeah. should walk into this woods, see a load of bracken and fern and stuff like that, and know damn well that there's probably going to be others around. They should know that. Yeah. So me and Mike got called out. No, no, we had, we, we, more care, definitely. 
Yeah. Mm. So me and Mike got called out. Um, we had a, fr- a friend contact us. Say, you guys got reptiles. I got a friend who's in your area. Could you please go and help with the grass snake problem? So me and Mike, mm-hmm. like the good Samaritans that we are, went round and we looked for this grass snake for ages, and won't be told it wasn't bloody there. Um, and I've got mm. to admit, the couple. Um, who had called us out they were lovely they really were and their son was really helpful as well and um, they, they didn't want it to you know they didn't want to hurt it they just didn't want it in their garden because they, they had a dog didn't yeah they? they were a little bit yeah they were a little bit concerned that it would hurt the dog and we spoke to them and said look it, it's a grass snake you know we've, she sent a photo but it was a video of it we confirmed it as a grass snake and we said look your dog's in no danger whatsoever um, and she goes but I don't want it here the problem is right and you know what if, if they do listen to the show I do apologise but what, what I'm about to say is, but you live next to a massive nature reserve with grass snakes in it. Do not buy a house next to a fucking park with grass snakes in it if you don't want them in your garden because they yeah. live there. You, you chose to live where they live, you know what I mean? So, preach, preach, yeah, that's like living by the seaside and having an irrational phobia of seagulls, amen, <laughs> or the sea. All the same. Yeah. That's, yeah. That is like that is like that is like being like Danny and having a, an irrational phobia of rabbits and living in fucking Norfolk. <laughs> oh, it's not a good idea. Just, yeah, and fly, oh, the flies here are like muscle, man. Honestly, you know, Mike. You know, next time Danny comes over, should we go and sit up the beacon for a few hours? <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's not and say we did. I think we should. I think your your anxiety got the fucking roof, mate. You just you just want to take me frogging. No, take me something park if we're going frogging. Wow, you 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 <laughs> basically asked Steve to uh, to take you frogging. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, best, time, best time to look for frogs and toads is in the evening. <clears throat> it's so, nice and dark. I've got I've got a question. <laughs> So we, we, we spoke about sort of like habitat loss and oh I'll tell you what Hoss, you edit that out, I know, but it drives me mental. It's like are, he climbs into the microphone so and, then, loud. and then he vapes really? really? as loud as he can. I won't edit this one out. And the guest great. and the guest trying to talk and it's like I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and stop. It is just move away from the microphone. You I can't touch my bikes. Oh, okay. Just fuck off out of your house. <laughs> don't fucking come back. <laughs> Get so. in the sea. <laughs> Under the sea. Right. Um, oh, so, 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 what, so what my thought was, um, I know we talk about sort of like building roads and habitat loss and that's why uh, toads are on the decline. What about um, sort of like global warming are we getting other species i.e. birds coming in that wouldn't have come in the, uh, originally that feed on them would that is, is do you think that's having an effect at all uh, on, on, on the species uh, so, so I think the change in weather pattern is yes obviously that there have been years recently when toads have bred nice and well, they're coming out earlier to breed uh, you know as opposed to because this has always been a headache of mine is that peak toad patrol season falls bang on fucking Valentine's Day. And if you've got someone who, who likes toads as your partner, you're fucked, mate, because you know. <laughs> you go, sorry, love, I'm having fun, uh, but I'm going to save some toads. And they would take that one of two ways. Uh, only one of those is favourable when it happens about 5% of the time. You, you know, 95% of the time, you know, you never get to the bird again. 
<laughs> well, uh, climate change is having an effect because we're having, you know, cooler, uh, wetter winters, which means that the animals and snakes, as well as frogs and toads and newts, aren't going into hibernation like they should do. You know, like yeah. properly brumate, so they're they're using up their their fat reserves, uh, you know, a lot quicker than they would do. So coming up really to breed in the spring or you know uh, in mid February as amphibians do, get to a breeding pond. And they're emaciated and die before they've even had a chance to breed. Or uh, in some years where we've had a very dry winter, the breeding ponds have completely, you know, dried up, uh, and they haven't had the chance to breed. This year, uh, we had a very cold start to the year, and a lot of the sites that I monitor for amphibians again around Cambridge, uh, there was spawn there, but there weren't any adults. And usually, you expect the adults to hang around for a couple of weeks after they've spawned, mm-hmm. but it was very clear that. Yeah, looks had done done the deed and got the fuck out of there because it was too chilly uh, and just left the spawn to fend for itself. So I think that climate change is having an effect in multiple different ways, whether it's too cold or too dry or too wet, and it's just creating you know this multifaceted effect on populations. You know, if they're large enough to sustain themselves, then they should be okay. But if they're small, if they're already fragmented, then they're already susceptible to these sorts of effects, which a lot of populations are because we've divided and conquered them. You know, uh, as it were. And yeah, yeah, it's being fucked over by the weather as well as us, uh, which, as I'm sure you're aware, is a very lethal combo. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's replicated across the world in all sorts of different species. But in terms of climate change, some modelling has shown that some some of our rarer species, like the smooth snake and the sand lizard, will be able to, you know, expand their range throughout the UK as global warming takes hold and you know the UK's summer temperatures rises. But that depends on the right habitat being there in the first place, and unfortunately there isn't. So they're probably still going to be marooned in the areas where they where they are. Uh, yeah, and then they they might be habitat in certain areas, but they might not be able to get to it. Oh yeah, if, if, if there's no corridors or anything, you've got to be a corridor. Yeah, it's just going to be sat there, you know, you know, Natajack toadless or whatever. You know, it, it's, it's 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 very it's very hard to try to you know stress the importance of certain habitats for certain species on you know for, for the general public because instead they see this this piece of green field and like, oh yeah let's build it because it's not being used like, no it's the corridor for species and again it's not just reptiles and amphibians it's insects that are using it you know it's small mammals it's birds yeah it's absolutely. literally fucking everything if it's in the wild it's going to use it yeah, yeah uh, and you know this also swings back into into the non-native stuff that i'm working on with midwife toads uh, not those particular, but other species uh, like alpine newts uh, and the terrapins. In the, at the moment, terrapins can't breed in the UK because our summers are, are too cold. But in a few years' time, who knows how how our summers will be? And you know, we might have redhead sliders breeding in the UK for the first time. Uh, I've heard a few unconfirmed reports around the place. I'm not too convinced, just because you know the preceding weather beforehand doesn't match up. But uh, you know, who who knows? there may be some species that are able to establish themselves because of global warming because they've escaped or they've been you know accidentally released or even intentionally released you know i I know of a site up in derbyshire uh, a couple of years ago where uh someone who monitors the adders found uh four hog noses and a demerals boa uh just dotting around the place yeah i know where that was yeah quite quite local Uh, it's it's one of those things that you know I can understand where you know the reptile keeper was coming from 
been kept snakes from a past you know you know you want the best for the animal but releasing them into a habitat that's not their native habitat into species that they may come into contact with and spread disease to or parasites or even vice versa uh, isn't going to be, you know, the best option for them. Wow, look uh, what's happened in look what's happened in Florida. You know, over a hundred thousand uh, Burmese pythons over there now. You know, I think one of the issues with Florida as well is that you know hurricanes like Katrina tend to liberate captive animals as well as the ones yeah. that intentionally released. We don't have the extreme weather like that yet. Maybe we will in the future. Saying that, but a lot of floods, floods of you know, um, sort of like flooding people's gardens that have ponds in with no, non-native sure. if you, if got, native species. Outside. Yeah, you know, no, definitely. And I, I think it's just one of these things as well. Was at the moment, uh, if you want to list all of the native, you know, the non-native species rather we had in the UK, reptiles and amphibians, ninety percent of them are European species. And I think that reflects the history of the pet trade, is that, you know, as I said earlier on, a lot of the species up until very recently were coming from Europe, whether it be alpine newts, or the marbled newts, or European tree frogs, or, you know, bombina fly-bellied toads. You had all these species coming over from France, from Germany, from Luxembourg, wherever, because they were numerous, they were easier to catch, and people wanted them. And then as soon as the husbandry was cracked for stuff like corn snakes and royal pythons and stuff like that uh you know uh that's when the 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 market shifted more towards those and obviously you're still shifting now towards tropical stuff from southeast asia and, and the americas and stuff like uh you know earless bornean monitors and you know crazy stuff that you know has only been discovered for like three days and someone wants to stick in a tank in a bedroom in manchester it um, yeah, yeah. but pe- people don't also you know consider you know, the ethics and the conservation of the species they want to keep, you know, they just want to own it. Uh, and I, I think that's that's quite a Victorian mindset, you know. Uh, you know, the concept of a zoo was built on, you know, just keeping something in a glass tank or a concrete box. Uh, but thankfully, husbandry for reptiles and amphibians over the past 20, 30 years has become more bioactive. The community, you know, is a lot more engaged and focused and educated on these sorts of things. So a lot of animals are you know in a lot better care and you know it, it, for some rare species if you can provide them a refuge that they wouldn't get in the wild because their habitat's been trashed then you know hats off to you uh yeah but i think they did need to be a bigger focus within you know within the hobby uh, on on conservation of our native species and i know a lot of people don't tend to focus on native species if they keep reptiles just because you know that's their you know that's their you know their clique within it and you know in some cases that's wise particularly if you're working with a species or a group of animals that you know may harbor disease either they're taken back to your collection etc if i can understand it you know I'm, I'm in the same boat but as I, as I said earlier on you know there are lots of groups you can get involved with in your local area uh and you know do conservation work do monitoring work do habitat management and just make a difference locally. And if everybody is there, because, you know, it's, it's a very joined up thinking, are UK, the Amphibian Reptile Groups UK, uh, you know, we'll have a massive impact on, on things around the country. 100%. And hopefully we start to see, you know, the reversal of such declines in, in common toads or, you know, in grass snakes or edders, etc. And, you know, you don't have to be an expert. Like, I, I wasn't an expert when I began, you know, I just started university. You know, and I just wanted to, to do something because, you know, a lot of reptiles and amphibians want to do something that mattered to the local area. And so I did. 
and here I am seven years later, you know, doing a PhD on grass minks and looking at, you know, disease, etc. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I've still got my roots in volunteering <laughs> and keeping animals in the past. And, you know, it's something I hold on to dearly. And I think that once you break, you know, that, that sort of, you know, the surface of the onion and see how much, you know, how many layers are, you know, within itself, you know, you'll be amazed at the opportunities and how much fun you can have, you know. I've never yeah, thought yeah. I'd have fun on a minus eight day in February, you know, cleaning out a pond when the ice is three inches thick. But I fucking enjoyed it. Uh, despite <laughs> the fact I almost died of frostbite, you know, but, you know, the pond was ready for the toes when they came uh, like a couple of weeks later. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Hard work pay off. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the greatest feelings. Definitely. Well, okay, so obviously the work that you do, you are really proud of it. And I think, to be honest, we can, we can hear how passionate you are. Um, it's always really good that when we get a guest on the show that we can't actually get a word in edgewise because you just talk, 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 <laughs> and it's, it's great. Oh, you know, it's a compliment. No, it's a compliment. Um, so how can people directly help you or get in touch with you if they want any, any more information about what you do? Okay, so... Uh, where should we start? So, if you if you want to help us with the midwife toad front, uh, we have a crowdfunder, as I said earlier, and the uh, the URL for that is experiment.com forward slash UK midwife toads. And if you want to contact me directly, uh, you can contact me on uh, Twitter or Instagram. Uh, my username there is Steve Elaine. Uh, so my surname is A W L A I N. And yeah, just shoot me up a message, send me a tweet, whatever, and I'll be more than happy to direct you in the in the, the right direction to get involved in the local area, make an impact, and hopefully try to conserve what we have left of our native herpetofauna. fauna. That's cool. And uh, yeah, to, to just make it a better place for herbs in general and other wildlife indirectly through through that course of action. Cool. Yeah, okay. So um, obviously after the show, if you could send us those links over, and we'll make sure that we get them sent out as well. Sure. Um, no. You know, it is really important that we do, you know, if everyone does a little bit or, you know, even if you could just like share this and, you know, and, and, you know show other people, maybe you can't get out of there because of whatever reasons, but there might be someone on your, your news feed that can or, you know, or maybe it's what they, they are passionate about, but just don't have the right networking opportunities to be able to go out there and make the difference. Um, I think Another good idea, Hoss, sorry, yeah. mate, um, is if you want to get involved in things like that, approach your business. It can be an absolutely fantastic team building exercise. You know, get your come, you know, your colleagues from work together on a day and yeah, go we, out and we, help in a reserve. We tried that, but Danny went to the pub instead. <laughs> 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 I'm, not, I'm not even going to dignify that with a response <laughs> okay, but honestly mate you've, you've come across ever so well tonight um, I'm very thankful for our mutual friend Sir David Clemens um, <laughs> you know for uh, getting in touch and telling you know, sir. Across, sir yeah sir. do you know my favourite thing about Stephen yes can, can, you, can you take a guess no my favourite thing about Stephen swears, he swears like a trooper yes I knew no, it would be. He's very he intelligent. Swears so much and swears like, yeah, it, it yeah, mixes see, it up well, doesn't it? It just goes <laughs> to show that the most intelligent people swear loads. So, <laughs> Naya and Billy, don't listen to your dad. You swear away. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the thing is, this is one of those things, isn't it, that you need to 
you know, the thing is, is that I feel that swear words are so overused now. We need some new ones because, you know. <laughs> oh, we can send you plenty of them over, mate. Well, I, th- I think what, one of the things people as well is you're obviously a very educated man, and a lot of people who th- who are smart or who I think they are smart like using rather large words, and sometimes it isn't the words that you know, but it's the words that you do know and how you use them that makes you intelligent. Um, I think some people do try to hide behind big words that I can't pronounce. Yeah. And if there's an easier word to say, isn't that more intelligent to use that easier word <laughs> than trying to use a, a large word? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like it's like it's like um, little man syndrome, in it, I suppose, Danny Wells. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh, yeah. But, um, before uh, before the, we kick you off, I'm just talking um, to my good friend Reese. Yeah. Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> Be- before we, before you kick you off, obviously we've got a mutual friend, Dave Clemens. Do you have sure. any embarrassing stories that you'd like to share? Uh, Come on, it's Dave. This should be loads. I don't know. It's one of those things that. So, I met him for a mutual friend as well, and uh, I. So I can, can tell you one thing. So, uh, I, I lecture as a guest lecturer at ARU where he's doing his undergrad, and so last October, it is every October, I, I give this lecture on. Uh, an introduction to herpetology and you know British and reptile conservation and in that lecture he sat right at the front uh, and he you know, listened to every word made you know, tons of notes to my talk and at the end when everybody stood off he just sat there clapping his hands oh uh, brilliant and was life. and the other thing as well is that you know, <laughs> you know this lecture ran from like three till six so right guys we're in the pub now if you want to like ask me some questions or you just want to get pissed up I'll see you there not a fucker turned up. They would have come, but if he had to rush back to look after Maisie. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he would have. He would have done if he could have. Definitely. Um, there's he one would have been there. There's one important thing that I really need to sh- tell you, and this I can't stress this as an, uh, enough. Um, when I speak to people like yourself who are doing lots of conservation work, there is a very, very small chance that you might get to meet the great Sir David Attenborough. Okay. Uh, if that ever arises, you need to make him aware that I am his long-lost grandson, and to make amends, he needs to come on our show and talk to us, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish Five minutes. A few months ago, because I met him want. twice. You what? <gasps> I've met him twice. Kick him off. Kick him off the fucking show yeah, now. <laughs> oh, mate, we've talked through through these podcasts and we haven't mentioned that. How the hell did you meet David Attenborough? Not once, but twice. And what, what was it all about? Okay, so the first one uh, was uh, Earth Optimism Day, uh, April 22nd, 2017. Uh, Cambridge University. He knows the exact day. I'm going to fucking Oh, no. Uh, and yes, yeah, so it, it was a very, very rounded off day. And then the second time was uh, this March for the student uh, con- conference on conservation science. And yeah, he gave him, gave us a Q&A session at uh, Cambridge University again. Uh, and yeah, met him when he came and posed his nurse and lunch. Uh, both times had very minimal interaction, shook his hand, and that was it. Uh, Mate, yeah, next time, uh, you know what your first question's going to be? Have you heard of Reptile and Chill? No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know you've got a long lost grandson that's dying to see you and meet you? <laughs> dear, oh dear. 
Right, okay. Anyway, yeah, my best. before Mike starts like creeping on you, um, I think it's about <laughs> time to start rounding things up. Um, but I do really appreciate you coming on. You've, again, you came across really, really well. Um, and I found that one really interesting. Honestly, yeah, I can, I can I, honestly I, say as well. I know I, Danny's going to bum you off and tongue fuck you because he wants <laughs> to go herping. But but I can, I can honestly say I, th- I think we found a new friend as well. Um, yeah, you know, I, I have really enjoyed this show. Oh. Oh God! And you say I'm gay. gay. I I personally think that Stephen was far better than Clemens. Ooh. Oh, no, oh, Clem- far well, better. We're gonna have to get Clemens on next week then to compare. I think Dude. I think we should get him on right now and tell him. Oh no! <laughs> call, call him and tell him I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna add him in. <laughs> How do, I, how do I add him in again? I can't remember. <laughs> he's, he's a bit late, mate. He's got his daughter. Come on, behave yourself. His daughter's in bed. Shut up. It's nearly 10 o'clock. Come Fine, on. I'll try and do have it. A, have a fucking word. See if he comes on. <laughs> right, okay. If he doesn't come on, Danny, you owe the, the charity a fiver. Okay. Yeah. That, that's deal. the deal. If he does, bring him in. you owe the charity a fiver. Yeah, cool. No worries. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Ringing, 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 still ringing. Better come on. Oh, no, come on. Don't hang up. You hang up. Don't you dare hang up on it. No, you hang up. (laughs) You hang up. Oh, God. He's here. Yes. Mr. Clemens, how are you? Mr. Clemens. Whoa, that was weird. How you doing? We're good. Right. Um, first, um, firstly, Dave, listen. fuck you. Right. <laughs> I've now got to pay money, but f- it's for a good cause. But I said you. you wouldn't come on. Danny said you would, Dave, and you were you as good as gold. Come straight on. So that's uh, a fiver in the pot for Hoss. <laughs> fuck you, Hoss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I need the the reason for the call, I mean, I'm in shock. Uh, I think Hoss is in shock, but Danny has got something to tell you that, that's just knocked us off, straight off our seats. Oh, I've known I... he is in this day. It's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's no secret. No, no, no. He's, uh, he was the first to know, of course. Who, who, do, who, who else did you think I was going to booty call at 11 o'clock at night? <laughs> Clemens, I just wanted to say that you've been knocked off, knocked off of the top seat by uh, Stephen Alain. What a legend he is. Yeah. Oh, mate. And he took it like a trooper. Ha- however, yeah. however, we are fair people. And Dave, if you would like to try and regain your throne, you are more than welcome to come on next week. I think I'm available. I'll have to check my schedule, but I think I am. Ooh. Oh, mate. That's fine. Yeah, we've, we've, we've come a long way, I think, Dave, since uh, since we had you on the show. You matured. <laughs> we have not matured if, if you, at if you all. Looked at, if you'd watched the live show earlier, mate, you'd have seen that we certainly haven't matured. Well, one of us might have, but then pair of muppets haven't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we did have spent more money on equipment. Um, but listen, listen the, good, the good news is uh, Julian didn't even get a fucking mention. <laughs> no, no, he has. Fuck's sake. Can we, go, no, can we do one podcast without mentioning his name? 
<laughs> no, no, this is the Julian show, remember? <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, mate, uh, Dave, he was absolutely right in suggesting uh, Stephen to come on the show. It's been absolutely fantastic, fantastic. So, so passionate about it. Um, uh, uh, so so much knowledge um and come across absolutely superb so uh so thanks for putting them forward uh dave if you've got any more suggestions fire away if that likes <laughs> <laughs> well anyways that is about it for this week thank you for listening if it's the first time listening to the show you can also head us on you can head over to Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the handle Reptile and Chill. If you want to become part of our community, please do. Just type in, in Facebook, the Reptile and Chill community, and we'll add you in. If you want to help support our podcast and our plea for mental health, then please head on over to reptileandchill.com and look at our hoodies and t-shirts for sale. That is about it for this week. Pass something really important. Oh, um, God, just before you go, no, 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 guys, I'm really sorry. Um, I saw a, a horrendous post on Facebook earlier. Um, there was a, a guy who has he basically started his post with saying, I had a, a horrendous morning this morning. I found my son in his room and he had to pull him off uh, the door that he'd hung himself on. Unfortunately, he tried his hardest... Uh, to revive him until the paramedics got there and then the emergency services couldn't bring him round and um, it, it, it really sort of like hit home with me and I wanted to mention it I'm not going to give any names away but our new charity Papyrus that is what they, they, they help and support people who have been through that so um, I just wanted to quickly mention that where you mentioned sort of like our work with mental health uh, that's who we're going to be partnering up with Sorry, house. No problem. But I, I do, I do agree. It's a, it's a really good cause. Um, so again, any any merchandise that is is sold that you do buy, you know, that money will be going towards Papyrus. Um, on that note, we'll see you at our live show Thursday between seven and eight o'clock. And until then, we'll see you next week. And guys, love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Take care. Love you, Dave. Bye. <laughs> Love you. Love you all. Bye. <laughs>